Hello and welcome to Outdoors in Scotland. I'm John Burns and this is my wee podcast for people who like to get out and about, I guess. Um, it's Spring is, I don't know if it's actually around the corner, but it, it, it's, it's waiting to leap out. You can feel it when you go out, out outdoors now. There's this, there's, this, there's this sort of explosion about to happen. So, um, you know, it's a wonderful time to get out and about and, and, and as, as everything bursts into bloom. So, so spring, if not summer, is, is just around the corner here in the Highlands. Um, my guest today is a, a writer of narrative non-fiction on the natural world, and as well as fiction and radio scripts. Uh, her first short story collection was nominated for the Saltire Award and the Rob Jenkins Award for environmental writing, and her essay collection, Doubling Back, Ten Paths Trodden in Memory about journeys she took on foot in Scotland, Spain, Switzerland and Kenya, was serialised for BBC Radio as Book of the Week. All her writings expired first and foremost by place, and she she also teaches creative writing, especially in nature and in place. Um, I, I might learn a bit here, you never know. <laughs> uh, my guest is, of course, Linda Cracknell. How are you, Linda? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks very much for inviting me on. You're very welcome. You know, I can't think why I haven't had you on before, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very remiss of me, you know. It's probably because I don't sit still long enough. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, there's some, maybe something to be said for that, you know. Um, yeah, I, I've, people have often said to me that, that, that they really like my descriptive writing. The only problem for me is that I have no idea how I do it. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you can give me some hints about that later on but first i think anybody who writes about landscape and about place in a sense has a kind of love affair with that place and i wondered how how that affair started with you well um i've always you know i've long been an outdoor person you know right back to childhood and sort of crawling around in the undergrowth in the garden um and I became quite a walker, you know, by the time I was sort of in my early adulthood, I was regularly walking and wanting to explore on foot. And um, I guess that also coincided with the sort of feeling that I wanted to write, but I had no idea what I wanted to write. And my first writing became um, short stories, which is my first form, actually. It's my my sort of it's my home, if you like, in creative mm -hmm. writing as the short story. And it's a it's a technically very difficult form, but it's short, which is the big attraction for beginning writers. Um, and initially there wasn't particularly any necessarily any outdoor content, although there was in some of them. But I found as I went on increasingly, um, I realized that I needed to walk and be outside in order to write, that mm -hmm. there was a sort of really important balance between the two and a nourishment from the walking for the writing. Um, and at a certain point, I sort of thought, well, maybe that could actually also be the content. And um, I'm, I'm always restless. I'm always sort of wanting to be on the, on the move mm -hmm. and in motion, particularly on foot. And I, I had this idea that perhaps I could make the movement into the content, which is when I started to write narrative nonfiction. Um, Do you think there is some sort of connection for writers between walking and writing? I mean, I believe Dickens was quite a, 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 a prolific walker as well as a writer. Is there something yeah, in the I, process, do you think? 
Yes, very much so, I think. And lots of um, many writers through history of, of, you know, Thomas Hardy was another one who, even when he was in, in London rather than Dorset, he was mm-hmm. charting the whole city on foot. Oh. And I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, it's partly the rhythm and it's partly yeah. the way the mind works when you're walking, that you're half engaged with where you are and you're yeah. half engaged in your own narrative in your head. And yeah. there's a very nice interplay between the two. Um, well, I suppose of many of us who were really, most of us lead were hectic or busy lives to some degree. At least when you're walking, you're 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 in it to some degree in a quiet place, aren't you? Yes, yes. And I think you know it depends whether you're walking on your own, of course, because mm-hmm. walking can yeah. be very social, and um, which is lovely as well. Chance mm-hmm. to sort of to wander and be prompted by what's around. In quite interesting ways so there's a there's a thing going on about observation because obviously we need as writers we have to observe things and we have to be curious about the world um so some of that's going on as we walk but we're also being quite interior and the mind i mean i don't know about you but i've often found on very long walks um so for example one of the walks i, I did i live in highland perthshire and i walked out of my front door not totally unplanned and walked to the Isle of Skye following an old oh, drive right. road back, back to front yeah. <laughs> and um, I found that my increasingly because I was walking alone and um, uh, you know in my tent each night I oh. found that my mind was um, playing games and quite interesting games some of the time and I uh-huh. I sort of became everything became hyper hyper interesting and hyper real oh, and yeah. um, so I think I think there is something that happens particularly on a longer walk um, where you can become really very creative uh, with the mind. Well, I mean, one of the things I uh, enjoy, uh, I, I don't know if you know, but I'm a aficionado of Bothy's and more recently of a hot tub. Yes. In, yes. I, like it, but I think there's something special about being in the outdoors at night or, or in the early morning, that whole process mm. of spending your whole... I don't know the 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 landscape changes in the evening. Does that does that make sense to you in any in any way? Yes, absolutely. I think it's and sometimes and often at this time of year, I haven't done it yet, but often at this time of year, I'll um I'll just go off with my tent just for a night, and it might be really near home, but mm-hmm. just to sleep out somewhere, um, usually high up if I can, and um, I think it is just. There's a terrific sense, even if you've just gone for 24 hours, there's a terrific sense of being removed from the mundane and spending the time. If it, if it involves a night, it feels more elemental somehow. Yeah, um, I think that's right. Sorry, I think there's also something very special about uh, a journey that starts in one place and ends up somewhere else. Because yes, absolutely. We've got circular journeys, don't we? Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, that you know, walking to Sky was the sort of case in point. Um, you know, I had a I had a particular kind of theme that I wanted to follow, which was the, the right. droving theme. But lots of other things cropped up along the way. But what I did find is when I got to, to I, I finished at Sligerhan and right. um, took a bus to from there to Portree and spent the night there, and I absolutely longed to walk back. <laughs> I take it that was that was that was out of the question, was it? To just follow the same route, but in reverse, I longed, I couldn't do it. It's so interesting. It was September, and I thought it would be so interesting to see the autumn coming on on the return journey. Um, but anyway, I couldn't do it, so I had to get on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> 
in your in your your, your collection of essays doubling back you, you wrote about uh paths in scotland what, what what particular areas or places did you write about in that book well a lot of them weren't in scotland in that book um right there was a new, some of them were but some of them weren't so i followed right. i followed two writers for example so thomas hardy and cornwall um in Boscastle area of cornwall and jesse kesson um who'd spent time as a young woman she's uh, lots of people don't know her name actually she's an absolutely incredible um uh, writer uh, of uh -huh. the last century and um she spent time as a young woman who'd had a very checkered uh, upbringing on a farm high up above Loch Ness and I spent I just spent a you know it's a, an area I know but I, I spent a day sort of imagining her path mm -hmm. sort of there um but some of them were longer as as in the sky one and um I also did a a walk, walk with a big group of people with pack ponies and we oh, started right. at King Lucy and we went through to Kirk Michael Right. via Blair Athol. So we were following old routes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with this sort of lovely thing of the rhythm of walking with ponies um, uh -huh. and a big group. It was really interesting how, what a difference it made to have animals with us, actually. It was really, really interesting. Yeah, because they um, said... Uh... So that was sort of following the old ways. Right, so you're following the, the, the sort of... I, I, I think one of the things that always fascinates me is that is that when you're somewhere... I don't know, and you can kind of sense the history around you. Um, I, I'm thinking for places like um, there's a, a clearance visit visit village near Loch Allen, which mm. is which is just you know, like in many glens that you, you you walk through that there are just ruins ruins that must at one time have held people's lives, and that always uh, it's almost like you can feel time has stopped a bit. Does that? I don't. Does yes, that make sense I, I, to you? I do. I know exactly what you mean. That you can be in a place where you just sense that there has been a community there, and you can you can feel it, like you say, even if you can't see it in the stones, the sort of spilled stones. Um, and I think the same is true of old paths and old ways that you you. I mean, there's nothing I love more than that, a very slight depression crossing a hillside, and you think mm -hmm. mm, that was obviously, I think, a significant route in the past. And there's a lovely sense of adding to that with your, the tread of your own feet, uh, which I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I always think yeah, the, you can you can very easily tell the difference between a track that's man-made or, or that has been bulldozed or whatever, you know, created, and one that's been <clears throat> kind of evolved mm. over the centuries and tells a tells almost kind of tells a story as it weaves its way through the hills. Yes. I mean, I suppose that's what I was trying to do in doubling back was to pick up on things because because the point of the doubling back was that I was searching, I was seeking out particular memories. So I followed my own father, um, who I didn't know he died uh, he died when I was so young. I didn't right. know him. Um, but I followed him in the Alps and did my first Alpine climb. Um specifically to sort of it was a sort of way of memorializing it but also to follow the route and mm -hmm. um that involved following a friend's father across Norway who'd been in the resistance movement and had escaped and we followed I went back with his his um two daughters and we, we followed his path across Norway to to safety in Sweden um but I I you know so some of them are a, a sort of following a 
following a memory specifically or that's related to me and some of them are more communal memories like like an old mm -hmm. path for drovers like that, that kind of thing um and um yes I'm sorry I've forgotten what the question was <laughs> I, 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 forgot <laughs> I feel like I've gone off on a run I think one of, one of the things that interested me is you wrote about Kenya and I, I, I've, yes. I've been to Kenya um on an ill-fated attempt on Mount Kenya, in fact. Oh, and I, yeah. I, I wondered, it's a quite intense place in a way. I wondered what you felt about it. Um, well, I've, I've been to Kenya a few times. Um, I, I have a sort of connection with that part of the world in that right. I was an English teacher on the island of Zanzibar, which is um, part of, now part of Tanzania. So that's the next country down the east right. coast of right. um, Africa. And so there is com some commonality of culture between Tanzania and, and Kenya. And I went there as a, as a writer to work with writers from, um, from Kenya, who some of whom oh, right. I'm still in touch with, which is a delight. And um, I, so I did know Kenya a little bit, but this particular walk came about, um, and it's a, it's a minor walk, it's extremely short, but I went with a Kenyan friend who grew up in this village and we, both decided on the spur of the moment to take our shoes off and walk the routes that she'd taken as a child to fetch, you know, down to where the water was collected, to the school where her mother had taught, um, to the church where they'd gone as a family. And um, it was just really interesting for me to walk barefoot, um, to try and get somewhere barefoot and how difficult that was for me yeah. and how much attention it it's gathered because you know I was a white woman walking walking without shoes it was so so sort of unusual um so we, we really we really enjoyed the sense of contact between the, the sole of the foot and the earth and that sense that you were following these old ways that had been used by so mem many members of the village um so that was sort of retrieving my friend's memories in a way of her own childhood there Right, that's a, that sounds an amazing experience, and it, it nothing like Mount Kenya. <laughs> it was very <laughs> minor compared with Mount Kenya. Oh, no, no, it, it has a peculiar smell, Kenya. I always think it's not warm. Yeah, the, the, the earth smells different there. I don't know. Mm, <laughs> mm, mm. So, I mean, you you also you teach creative writing, especially in nature. What what what? I mean. Uh, what sort of lessons do you try to teach from your own experience? What's what's been important to you? Yeah, well, I I mean, fortunately, I I love teaching because that is how I mostly make my living, um, and I usually do involve even if it's you know fiction writing, I'll yeah I will always start by taking people outside, and it's really to focus everybody on the the fact that you know writing does come from our bodies and from the way that we observe the world through our bodies. So it's always really important to me that we get out and wake up the senses. And so, you know, my first tip would always be just to sort of be really alert to what your senses are telling you and not just sight, because uh, we uh, we can be inclined to let sight overwhelm the other senses. Yeah, but if you spend yeah. a bit of time outside with your eyes closed, you start to hear a lot more, you start to smell more and you can touch things and, and gain a different understanding. Or even looking in a slightly different way, you know, I think Nan Shepherd famously looked at things upside down, you know, as a way of changing the perspective so that it, it, it wasn't a tired old view, it was a new way of looking. 
so so that's what I that's the sort of thing that I would always begin with and um, sometimes I also do things like I'll give everybody a, the first line of a poem I publish you know not my own poems but somebody you know somebody's poems and then ask them to walk with it in their head just repeating it in their head oh. and often if it's a good poem often the, that person who's walking will start to sort of drum up a new a new line from it yeah. or a repetition or whatever and so another poet might emerge out of it and that's that's the you know the rhythmic walk that's doing that and of course poetry is very much related to um to, to a walking rhythm mm -hmm. so it's that sort of works um and you know looking looking for color in places where there might obviously be color um uh I have a big thing about verbs and the action of things. So I might encourage people to give actions to things which are apparently inanimate, you know, like a oh, the branch right. of a tree. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, you know, it will be it will be making it will be acting in some way against the air or the ground or, or the lights or whatever. The verb going for a tree it becomes more it automatically becomes more animate because that's where the life is in a sentence really is in the is in the verb that um, sounds really good doing obvious. words doing words for people <laughs> who didn't know <laughs> I, can see, I can see what you mean I yeah think... and then giving things a voice as well you know actually i i wrote a, a funny piece that I, I thought was going to appear in doubling back but um, all right it was about there's a if you know the north side of Shahalian, there's a funny thing that you can see from the far side of the valley there, which is a dry stone dike that goes um, directly in a straight line near gets quite near the summit of Shahalian on the north side, right. and it's it's really straight and um, and it's tumbling down a bit now in places, but I was really curious about this this so I went and walked it and I walked it with a diker who could explain the process of building it and I started when I started to write it I discovered um, that a voice a voice began to emerge which I because I'd done quite a bit of research so obviously I needed Not to right, yeah. some of the research <clears throat> but this voice started to emerge <clears throat> which wasn't mine and I, I let it run a bit and eventually I realized it was it was the dike itself the wall was speaking yeah, and yeah. Um, so I just let it go, and it ended up being a conversation between a walker and the wall, and um, and and it it allowed me to reflect on the history of the wall and how it how to, how it had been made and all the human interactions with it, as well as some of the more natural interactions with it with the creatures of the hill and so on. Um, and I thought I could put this in my non-fiction book, Doubling Back, but I was told firmly that if you have a talking wall, it's fiction. Not, not <laughs> <in fiction. laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about that. I, th I think the 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 line between narrative non-fiction, I suppose, which is essentially supposed to be factual and fiction, actually, is pretty blurred because you 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 you're, you're you're writing what you perceive, uh, mm -hmm. and that may not be something that could that is objectively observable. Does that make any sense at all? Yes, and I think also the process of selection. You know, you're yes. you're yes. selecting, and and, and yes. inevitably that makes it 
not all the truth is there, even if that bit is true, not all the truth is there. So it's it's already shaped in a fictional way, really. So, yeah, it is it is an interesting distinction. Yeah, I mean, one of the, it's not exactly a technique, I suppose something I learn or try, try to do is, is walk into a landscape and, and in a sense, switch off the sort of conscious mm. mind, sort of open my head, if you like, and mm. let what, what the land, what the landscape does talk really, what, what the landscape has to say and listen to it without, mm. without filtering it. Is that, is that mm. something you do? Yeah. Um, Yes, very much so, particularly in fiction, actually. When I'm writing fiction, so I, I wrote a novel called Call of the Undertow, yeah. which is set um, up near, in Caithness, near Dunnet Bay. And um, really a lot of that arose from me spending a lot of time walking around in quite a, a small area and cycling to some extent. Mm -hmm. Just kind of, yeah, just being open to it and seeing what was suggested. And inevitably, I learned a bit about some of the local folk tales and some of the history. Yes. And that all, it all bubbled up. It does take me quite a long time. But if I let that bubble up, I can be pretty sure that will turn into a, a fictional idea of some sort. A story will emerge from it, which was what happened with Call of the Undertow. Right. So, and you, you've recently published a book on writing in landscape. Yeah, so no, it's not out yet actually. Um well, well, it might be Sorry. by the time this goes out. It's it's um published on April the sixth. Right. And it's called Writing Landscape with a subheading of Taking Note, Making Notes. And right. it's published by Saraband. And they are starting a new sit this is the one one of two which are the beginning of a series they're doing called In the Moment. All right. And they're really nice small books. They're lovely, actually. They're really nice small books. Not quite pocket books, but small. And this is a book of essays, um, which isn't about how to write. It's about my engagement with landscape right. and how that relates to my writing. And so they're quite they're quite diverse essays, um, including. Um, you know, sort of as as ever, I you know, I live in Aberfeldy and my regular walk is around the Burks of Aberfeldy. So inevitably that gets in there somewhere. But it, right. it, it's it also includes um, uh, walking in a, a very small part of Edinburgh in between Waverley Station and a place on the Royal Mile where I used to work. Right. And all, all the different convoluted ways that I could have walked. Yeah. And didn't. You know, I was I was always just being a commuter. I was getting off a train and I was ploughing the same furrow every time, the quickest way to get to my office. And, you know, if you actually look at that tiny bit of old town Edinburgh, it's just got so many different little kind of closes and steps and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. unusual passages that I could have used to get there, which could have been really enchanting and quite magical, but I didn't. <laughs> So that one's more about kind of taking the opportunities to walk in different ways. Yeah, and that's, um, that's interesting you're talking about city walking because I mean Edinburgh. Edinburgh is a fascinating place, and it's mm, mm, it, it, it literally has uh, has a number of levels, doesn't it? And you can find mm, some exactly yes, where, yeah. where stone steps have been worn away by thousands of yes, feet over exactly. time. Yeah, that, it that's... sort of tells you the history, doesn't it? Which is yeah. so lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some of yeah. the essays are really quite different. So. Um, uh, one, of, one of them I I was going to I was going to as a very young man when he broke away from the lighthouse business and so before I went I decided to try, take a 
a little mini pilgrimage to um, the tidal island of Erid, which is off the Ross of Mull, oh, and right. where, which was where David Balfour of Kidnapped was washed up ashore and the story starts of his oh, right. Scotland. So I went there. So one of the, one of the essays is about, not about walking, it's actually about being on a tidal island by the effects of tides on us. Um, and so that one's got a sort of tidal influence in it, but so has one of the others, which is actually about becoming fascinated by barnacles, which are very minutely adjusted to the tides because they, their feeding and their opening and closing is completely tidal. So that was a sort of exploration into um, the, low, the, the intertidal zone uncovered at the yeah. low tide and where we find barnacles. So they're not all about walking in, in this, this writing landscape book, they're about inhabiting place and landscape and sort of what what we find there, how we find our own connections with those places which might throw up writing. Yeah, um, yeah, well, walking. Well, or walking may, might help us refine our writing. Absolutely. Walking's great, but sometimes it's, it's nice to sit down and just look, isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think that's actually become very important to me. And I, I often, these days, I often walk with a flask because it, it, it kind of creates the idea of having a pause yeah. And actually, just being somewhere rather than you know just being on the move all the time. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. That's right. Yeah. I, 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 and I think you can. I find an increasing fascination in tiny things, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, you, know, you mm. really look at a rock or the literature on it, you'll often see a spider hiding underneath it, or mm. something you've not noticed before. And it's that it's these these myriad tiny worlds that exist all around us. Quite fascinates me. Yes, I, I one of the essays in the book actually is um, a walk in the Cairngorms in oh, which yeah. I was introduced to a, a, one of those, bio, I don't know what you call them, botanical, uh, micro, not microscope, magnifying glass. And it was so long since I'd looked through a magnifying glass and to look at some of the lichens and things like that uh -huh. through the mag, it was like, it was like entering a different world. You know, it was really... Yeah, really yeah. changed my perspective actually and so that's been another way that I kind of try and get deeper I suppose into into a magnifying glass just changes completely and uh, spectacular well that's another way of writing isn't it to look at these different worlds I suppose mm. yeah, and to realize what is around us Listen, we're almost out of time mm. um, and that has flown by <laughs> got through so so much so quickly but but uh, just, just to recover your your uh, your book writing landscape is out on the 6th of april did you say that's right yes right we'll very much look after that i look forward to that and thank you very much for coming on the show it's been fascinating well, thank you for having me lovely to talk to you john absolute pleasure thanks then bye-bye okay bye-bye bye, -bye. bye, -bye. bye, -bye.